with your Bibles open before you our text this morning as we hear from the living God and His Word is Luke chapter 3, verses 10 to 20. What then shall we do? They asked John the Baptist. In year A.D. 29, in the region around the Jordan where John had come from last week, verse 3, proclaiming a baptism of repentance, Luke says, for the forgiveness of sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming to his people. Only one response could be appropriate. Repent, the voice declares. And then John clarifies what he means in verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Even now, verse 9, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? Which is exactly the right question. Because it shows that they got it. That they got that John wasn't calling them to participate in an efficacious religious rite. He was calling them to respond with action. The baptism itself wasn't what would save them from the acts. The washing pictures what happens in the heart, right? Isn't that the point? The issue is the heart. The issue is always the heart. That's what Jesus says. We looked at this at the end of last week's sermon, but I didn't make the point explicitly, so let me do it now. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and following, the words of Jesus, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. And then watch how Jesus explains this. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, dear friends, don't miss this crucial point. The same point we made for a month in Galatians the same point the Bible makes everywhere and always, the same point I'll be making in my sermons if you come back and visit 20 years from now, if I'm still doing this. Because the issue is the heart, brothers and sisters. How we need the Lord to soften our hearts. Do we not? How we need the Spirit to write the law there which is exactly what was promised. Do you realize that? The people of Israel were supposed to be waiting for this, waiting 
for the vindication of the holiness of my great name, says the Lord. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23. Ezekiel 36, verse 23. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And exactly how does that happen? if you know Ezekiel 36. How does the Lord reveal who he is to the nations through his people? Answer? He changes their hearts. Verse 25 of Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. From all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And here's verse 26, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what the Lord will do in the day when he vindicates the holiness of his great name. He will save his people. He will give them new hearts by his spirit. Prepare the way of the Lord, John says. John's was a baptism of repentance because his washing was to picture what was happening in the heart. Whether Jew or Gentile didn't matter. John was preaching to Israel. But hence John's command in verse 8 of Luke 3 applies to all bear fruits in keeping with repentance, John says. And hence the question of the crowds, what then shall we do? And hence John's answer. Verse 11, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Because here's the thing, that if we grasp it, will be plenty for this morning. If we grasp it, it'll be enough. What's the result when the heart is changed? When repentance is real, when faith is present, what's the result? Answer? You meet the needs of others, brothers and sisters. You love others. John doesn't call the crowds to something patterned after his own ascetic lifestyle. John doesn't call for a commitment to a series of ritual religious acts. John doesn't urge them to check and see if they feel sufficiently remorseful. 
John doesn't check up on their mental acknowledgement of their sins. John goes straight to how we treat others. Which is to say, whether we love others. At which point, how can I not remind you, you who were here through our study of Galatians, that we're once again right there with Paul in Galatians 5. Aren't we? Here's Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. Or, as we hear from through Stephen every week near the beginning of our service, we're right there with Jesus. When Jesus answers the lawyer's test, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Why is love, love defined as meeting the needs of others, Why is that the way John says you bear fruits in keeping with repentance? Look at the passage here in Luke 3, verse 10. The crowds ask him, what then shall we do? John answers, you have two tunics? Give one away to him who has none. You have extra food? Do likewise. Verse 12, the tax collectors come and ask the same thing. Teacher, what shall we do? John answers, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Verse 14, Soldiers ask the same thing. And we, what shall we do? John answers, Don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. And while there are nuances to each of those three exchanges, And Luke's specifically chosen, it wasn't just tax collectors and soldiers there that day, but Luke's specifically chosen to highlight the response of two groups generally despised by the Jewish population. And we could fill in the background and say more about what tax collectors generally did and how that whole system worked and how soldiers were not particularly well paid. And so the temptation to use their power to better themselves was always present and on and on and on. The point is this. That whatever your vocation and whatever your walk of life, how you handle money and possessions and power vis-a-vis other people says it all when it comes to the nature of your repentance. Because that's the window right to your heart. Remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12? Verses 32 to 34, listen, fear not, little flock, Luke 12, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And here it is, ready? For where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. The issue is the heart. The issue is always the heart. And nothing reveals the heart like how you deal with money and power vis-a-vis other people. This is what God desires. That a concern for Him is expressed through a concern for others. That love for God displays itself in love for others. Can you write that down at least mentally? (laughs) That love for God displays itself in love for others. That is everywhere in the Bible. Because when your heart's been changed and the Spirit of God is put within you, something happens. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to sin or to yourself or to the world or to the things in the world. You no longer have to live focused inward living your life to meet your own needs. Because with faith in God to meet all your needs, which is what he promises to do, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's the promise, which means that with faith in God to meet your needs, you're now free to meet the needs of others. It's the freedom to love others that the gospel produces in our lives. Which is why, hear me, which is why this has always been what the Lord expects of his people. It's a little bit long, but I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 to 8. And if if you're the type that likes to turn and read it, feel free to do that, though I failed to grab the page numbers. But Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 8. Because I want you to see that John the Baptist is not saying anything new. He stands in prophetic tradition as the ultimate prophet preparing the way of the Lord, but he's not saying anything new. Isaiah 58, verses 1 to 8. Do you, have a, do you have a page number, Roger? Yes, uh, 688. Last week, 688. 688 in big print. Small print? 58. All right. Ready? Isaiah 58. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people, the Lord speaking to the prophet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then here's what the people are saying. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, the Lord says, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure. Did you hear that? 
In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast? And a day acceptable to the Lord? Listen to this. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked to cover him. And not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Brothers and sisters, love for God displays itself in love for others. Here's one other prophetic text that you've probably heard before. You don't need to turn there. It's the famous one. It's Micah 6. Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. Listen to Micah 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What does real repentance look like? Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So now let me go here. I mean, is this for real? (laughs) I mean, does the Bible actually mean this stuff? Are you really saying that the way I know if I'm following Jesus and the way I know if my repentance is real and the way I know if I have faith is to look at what I do with my possessions, with my money, with my power and influence over people in whatever way that may be manifest, as I live day by day in my vocation, whatever that is, or in my neighborhood, or in whatever place the Lord has me? Yes, brothers and sisters. Because when the Lord comes in judgment, what do you think he's looking for? 
if not for that. I mean, we've read this before, but John's going here in verse 17. So listen again here to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and following. We've read it before. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, this is Jesus speaking, then He will sit on His glorious throne and before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left and the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for because I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me and I was sick and you visited me and I was in prison and you came to me and the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink and see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. This is the answer you want to hear, brothers and sisters. On that day, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Love for God displays itself in love for others. On that day, It's repentance that turns from sin to do the will of God that matters. Our hearts freed to love God and so love others as a result. And it's for anyone, even tax collectors and soldiers, not the moral epitome of Jewish society, are brought back into communion with God by being expected to do the will of God. And so it is for us all. Look now as we move towards the close here to verse 15 of our text. John's been faithful to his calling. John will be faithful to his calling to the point of imprisonment, Luke goes at the end of this passage. But verse 15, the crowds are a bit confused as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, the Messiah, John answered them all. I baptize with you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The true Messiah was coming. John wasn't him. Because here's the center of what's going on. John knows that his baptism was only the picture of what was happening in the hearts of the people. John couldn't change hearts. He could only call people to a baptism with water that reflected the change. It's the Messiah who would change the heart. It's the Messiah who 
baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Which is why I read Ezekiel 36 at the beginning of this sermon. Who floods our lives with the very presence of His Spirit. Who takes out our hearts of stone. Who gives us hearts of flesh. Hearts that trust Him. Hearts that love God. Hearts that bear fruits of love in keeping with repentance. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Jew or Greek, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And what happens when we drink of that spirit, dear friends? Paul in Romans 8. So then, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Christ, Messiah, who baptizes you with his Holy Spirit. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And then here's the great promise. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Which means this, brothers and sisters, that when the fire comes, it shall not destroy. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I came to cast fire on the earth, Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 49. Jesus says that. Luke 12, 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you but rather division. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, Jesus later says in Luke 17. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire rained down from heaven and destroyed them. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is the Messiah who is to come, says John. He will baptize you with his Holy Spirit and with fire. And if he does both of those things, then we shall be saved. Because you have to put the two together. The Spirit brings you life, makes you a Christian, regenerates you, seals you, guarantees your inheritance, sanctifies and matures and empowers you to love God and others so that when the fire comes, and when Jesus baptizes with the fires of judgment, you're purified by that fire. 
You're not destroyed by it. The Messiah saves and the Messiah judges. The Savior is the judge. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Verse 17 still remains, doesn't it? His winnowing fork is in his hand, John says, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. It's harvest time, when the grain would be brought into the barn and the wooden fork shovel would be used to throw it into the air and it would separate. And the heavier, usable grain would fall to the ground, while the lighter, useless chaff would be blown away. That's the image that ultimately is the point of our text. Some people are wheat. They belong to Jesus. Baptized with the Spirit. Hearts having been changed. Bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. They're gathered in. Saved. Some people are chaff. And they're blown away. By temptation, by false doctrine, by hardship, by deception, they do not evidence the repentance of which John speaks. Their hearts remain hard. They're blown away and consumed by the fire. Listen, dear friends, if you're chaff and not wheat, and you're hearing me this morning, and you're grasping what John the Baptist is saying about Jesus, then you need to repent. Jesus says the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Turn to the Son. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So with many other exhortations, John preached good news to the people. Luke concludes in verse 18. Good news it is. Because there's not one person here who, if you would repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord, living a new life for him by the power of his spirit in you, that he would reject you, not one. No tax collector or soldier among you. John says, Jesus is coming. He'll save you give you the Holy Spirit, and he'll judge you. Which means the Savior is the judge. And that's good news. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.